Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. All right, well, in the spring of 1960, Martin Luther King awoke uh, at his house in Atlanta, Georgia, and looked out his front window to see the charred remains of a cross in his front lawn. And uh, for those of you who don't know, the, the burn, burning crosses was the calling card of the Ku Klux Klan. Basically, they would put these crosses wherever they felt uh, they, they wanted to intimidate or threaten somebody and say, you're not welcome here, your race is not welcome here, and if you don't leave, uh, something worse may happen to you. Now, I can't imagine, or I can try to imagine, but I, I've never experienced anything like this. Maybe some of you have, and it's just, I, I can't fathom what that would be like to wake up to in the morning. I, 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 all I can assume is that I would just kind of um, basically go nuts at this. I would, I would uh, call the police, I would call the local media, I would take pictures and put it on social media and denounce whoever's doing this, and there'd be a defiance in me, but there'd also probably be a fear in me as well, and there'd be a big part of me that's worried about my family and wanting to just pack up and leave, which is exactly what they're trying to do in the first place. But this wasn't the first burning cross that Martin Luther King had received on his front lawn, and, and he knew how to handle it. And of course, by this time, he was a famous civil rights leader, and, and the local press had got wind of this, and so they had gathered in front of his house awaiting for, waiting for him to come out. And so he put on his best suit, and he picked up his toddler son, and he walked out the front door of his house, and he calmly picked up the cross. I think we have a picture of it here. And then he did something extraordinary. He began to pray a prayer of blessing towards the people who had done this. He began to ask God to show his love and his favor and his blessing on the people who had put this symbol of hate in his yard. It's just, it's just this is a, uh, it was such a powerful demonstration. It's one of many times Martin Luther King so beautifully practiced Jesus' exhortation to love your enemy. And today, as we continue in our series, Learning to Love, we come to one of what may be the most challenging topic of learning to love well, and that is loving your enemy. Now, this is really a follow-up from last week's talk. You know, last week we talked about resolving conflict, because it's obviously, you know, it's a good thing when you can resolve conflict, and, and we're, we're uh, told by Jesus to go and seek reconciliation when somebody's sinned against us. But the obvious question that's on the back of everyone's mind when we talk about this is, what happens when we can't resolve a conflict? And the sad reality is that there are plenty of people in this world who are unrepentant, people who are filled with hate, people who are just trying to take from you, to destroy you, people who are foolish, people who are, are just straight up evil. What do we do with those people? How do we respond to them? Are, are we supposed to love them? And I would be remiss if we went through a series on learning how to love and didn't talk about this topic. Now, thankfully, Jesus had a lot to say on this topic because I think he knew we would need to hear his words on this topic. And let's look at what he had to say in Luke chapter 6. 
He says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money, money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Therefore, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Ooh, challenging words there from Jesus. I think it's interesting, you know, he started off that whole, uh, that whole um, line of thought by saying, to those of you who are willing to listen, <laughs> I think he knew how radical, how challenging, how controversial uh, what he was asking us to do would be. And so, as I read these words, as I've meditated on these words this week, you know, questions begin to surface in my mind as I'm sure they surface in your mind as well. I mean, we're probably familiar with these words. Most of us have, have been around church for a while. We've read the Bible. So we know these words, but, but when you really start to think about it, lots of questions begin to surface. For example, you know, do we really have enemies? I mean, we're Christians, right? We're nice people. Do we really have enemies? I mean, I think if I went around and interviewed, the, you know, ask each person in the church, like, name an enemy. Do you, have an, do you have an enemy this morning? I imagine most of you would not be able to name a person. I mean, a few of you might be able to, but most of you probably can't say, like, oh, that person is clearly my enemy. I mean, I don't want enemies. I imagine you don't want them either. You know, I, and, and I get that Jesus had enemies, and I imagine if we were living in Ukraine this morning, we would consider Russian soldiers to be our enemies, but, but is this really relevant for us? Another question I have is, how, how on earth do you actually love them? You know, Jesus gives us some, some uh, guidelines there, but if you think about it, some of those things are, are a little bit contradictory. Like, you know, how do you, how do, you do some of those things um, uh, and, and, you know, like actually do good to, how do you give to them and do good to them at the same time? Those aren't always the same thing. I mean, I, 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 is Jesus just speaking in hyperbole here? Because this seems really idealistic and maybe naive and perhaps even dangerous. And, and it just seems really complex. So how do we actually go about loving our enemies? And then I also wonder, Why? Like, why would Jesus ask us to do this? How, how do we get our, our hearts to the point where we sincerely love our enemies? Not just tolerate them, not just kind of forgive them with gritted teeth, not, not maybe even do nice things for them, but, but sincerely love them. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to try to answer these questions. So let's take this first question do we really have enemies? Is this really relevant for us? 
You know, to, I don't know about you, but I can't say that I have people in my life who, who I, I don't know of anybody who hates me, at least I hope not. Uh, I don't really know of anybody in my life who's cursing me. I don't know of anybody who's, who's uh, hurt me, except maybe like on an emotional level. I, I don't know of anybody who's slapped me. I've had people steal from me. That's the one thing that Jesus mentioned that I've actually experienced in my life. One time though, well, never mind. I'll, I'll, I'll skip that story. Anyway, but the short answer to this question is, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have enemies. <laughs> Believe it or not, you may not be able to like name them, but by choosing to follow Jesus, you put yourself in opposition to the spirit of the world, and that just is an inherent threat to people. And all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus warns us over and over again. He says, listen, if you're going to be my follower, if they persecuted me, you're going to be persecuted. And that's actually the context of this passage. As earlier on, he was talking about the fact that, that we, we will be persecuted and, and that you're blessed if you're persecuted. I mean, Jesus is just like, he's like the opposite guy on this, in this passage. He does, says the opposite of what you think is going to happen. He says, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of false things about you on account of me. Jesus is saying that persecution will happen. And, and you know, my point is, is that as, as our culture in these days drifts further and further from biblical faith and biblical truth, and as we, as followers of Jesus, continue to stand on his words and stand for biblical truth, we're gonna, we can expect that we'll be accused. We can expect that we'll be maligned, that people will say false things about us, things that just are not true. And the question is, how do we respond when that happens? Because I don't know about you, but when, when I sense that persecution and that malice from the world against my faith, there's something in me that gets angry, that wants to fight back, and that's, that's, that's the natural response. But Jesus is saying, no, love your enemies. So this certainly applies to the context of our faith, but I think it applies much more broadly than that. I mean, I certainly think it applied to Martin Luther King that morning. I would say that the Ku Klux Klan were his enemies. He might not have been able to name those people, but they clearly had it out for him. They wanted him out of the picture. It could just be, so it could be something as, as harsh and as sinister and as terrible as racial prejudice. It could be something like, you know, uh, it could be a boss that has it out for you at work. It could be a relationship that's, that's somehow uh, deteriorated and is now really corrosive. It could be an abusive person in your family that is, that is an enemy. I mean, this could take a whole spectrum of things. It's not just about religious persecution. We all have enemies, or we can all have enemies for all kinds of different reasons something we're all going to have to face. And while our natural response is to defend ourselves, to retaliate, Jesus is saying, love your enemies. Which brings me to the second question, how? How do we love our enemies? This is, uh, this, you know, in order to answer this, I think we need to first define the word, or look at the word that Jesus uses here. He says, love your enemies, right? Well, that's that the word that we get love from in English, or the, the English word love is kind of a problematic word because it's a word that we use to describe all kinds of different things, right? You know, we can say, I can say, I love pizza, you know? I love Marvel movies. I love, um, and, and by that I mean, like, you know, I like this. I prefer this. I enjoy this. I could say, I love my wife and my kids. And that's a statement of affection. That's a statement of loyalty. 
But we think of love in our culture as a warm feeling of affection towards, uh, a warm feeling of affection. You know, we, we think that, that it's, it's something that happens, it's an emotion that happens to us. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not talking about, when he says love your enemies, he's not talking about feeling a warm feeling of affection for your enemy. The word that he uses here for love, you see, the Greeks had, had a better approach to this. They actually had four different words for love. We talked about this in the first week of the series. Each one of those words describes a different aspect of love. And the word that Jesus uses, is, use, uses, is, <laughs> the word that Jesus uses here is agape, agape love. And that is unconditional love, right? That's, that's the word that is used to describe the love of God for us. It's not an emotion that happens to you. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's, it's this decision of the will to love regardless of the response of the object of your love. It's a decision of the will that you make that, that it's not just an emotion that happens to you. This is the word that is translated the unconditional love of God. And Jesus is saying, that this is how we are to love our enemies. It's not that you're not just going to wake up, you know, one day and just think, think of your enemy and think, oh, I just love that person. Aren't they great? You know, I just love the way they mistreat me and steal from me and curse me, all that kind of thing. No, no, you're going to wake up and feel something like, I can't stand that person. But what Jesus is saying is that he wants us to push past that. He wants us, instead of vilifying or dehumanizing that person, find a place of compassion and recognize that even though they're broken, even though they're behaving in such a hurtful way, they're still made in God's image, and they're loved by God. And God wants us to love, God wants to love them through us. Secondly, I think Jesus is not instructing us here to be a doormat. It would be easy to read this passage and think, well, I guess Jesus is saying we can't resist our enemies in any way, that, that we just need to do what we're told and let people walk all over you and take advantage of you, and, and you just got to take it. But Jesus is not telling us to do that. That's a misinterpretation of this. Like, he, for example, he's not saying to the wife who has an abusive husband that she should stay in that situation and stay in harm's way. Jesus is not saying to the, the businessman who's partner is stealing and embezzling funds from the business, that he needs to stay in that partnership and just let that person continue to take and take and take. Jesus is not saying to like a woman who's being stalked that, that, that should just, she should just let that go on and not involve the authorities. He, he's not telling us to be a doormat. That's not what it means to love your enemies. I mean, think about it. How is it loving to allow someone to sin against you? I mean, not only are they hurting you, but they're hurting themselves. They're taking themselves further from God. So it's not good for you, and it's not good for them. Jesus isn't saying here, just be a doormat. Instead, Jesus is ad he isn't advocating like a kind of passive, defeated love. He's advocating an unreasonable non-retaliation toward our enemies. He he's saying that, Instead of following our natural instinct to want to harm and hit back and retaliate when somebody's wronged us, he's saying that we should respond in the opposite spirit. Just like Martin Luther King did. Rather than raging against racial injustice, he stood out there and blessed where he had been cursed. 
And that's what Jesus is encouraging us to do. He's encouraging us to respond in the opposite spirit, and he specifically talks about generosity. He's saying, be unreasonably generous towards your enemies. He's, he's telling us to, he tells us to give to whoever asks. He says, if, if someone wants to borrow, that you lend without demanding repayment. In this passage, in, uh, as it's told in Matthew's gospel, he also talks about, you know, if somebody asks you to carry their, their bag one mile, you carry it two I mean, he's saying be unreasonably generous. It seems like unqualified giving. Just give, 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 give. And then he tells us to do to others as you would have them do to you. He he wants you to seek their good, their blessing, their prosperity. And if you read through the Gospels, you see how Jesus practiced loving his enemies. I mean, think about in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was betrayed, or the night that Jesus was betrayed uh, and, and sentenced to death, this party, this mob comes to arrest him. Peter pulls out his sword, slices off the high priest's servant's ear. This guy was here to arrest Jesus. He was one of the mob. And yet Jesus, rather than saying, yeah, you show him, Peter, he picks up the, the severed ear and heals it reattaches it to the guy's head. He, he blesses his enemies. And then on the cross, as, as they're nailing those nails through his hands and his feet, he says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. There's this heart of prayer, this heart of forgiveness, this heart of compassion for his enemies who are hurting him and destroying him. And so you can look at Jesus' life for what it actually looks like to love your enemies. And, and what he's saying here is, look, restrain your natural instinct to retaliate and instead take the counterintuitive path. Respond in the opposite spirit and bless those who curse you. Give to those who take from you. Love your enemies. Now, I should clarify here that Jesus is not talking about pacifism because this might be occurring to you, especially with everything that's going on in Ukraine right now. I mean, Jesus is not talking about pacifism because the context of this whole passage is, is interpersonal relationships, relationships that you have with people in your life. He's not talking about international affairs. Jesus isn't saying that it would be wrong, you know, or that, that, the, that the Ukrainians need to lay down their arms and just welcome the Russians and just love them into their country while they lay down their sovereignty. That's not at all what this is teaching. Jesus, I believe, wants uh, Ukraine to, to, to uh, stand against tyranny. So this is not an, an advocation for, for pacifism. He's, Jesus is talking about how we respond in individual relationships in our lives. What Jesus is saying, though, I think that's really important for us to understand is that this requires careful discernment. Loving our enemies requires careful discernment. You know, on the one hand, like I said, he's, he's telling you to give, 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 give. On the other hand, he's, he's saying, seek the, the greatest good, like do to others as you would have them do to you. But if you just pause and you think about that for a minute, sometimes you'll see that those things are at cross purposes, that they can contradict themselves. You know, for example, if a drunk, somebody that's obviously drunk came up to me and said, hey, can I have the keys to your car? Should I respond by saying, well, Jesus says, give to whoever asks? No, of course not. 
I want his higher good. You know, I, I don't want to give him the keys to the car. I, I want to do to him as I would want him to do to me. And if I was intoxicated and wanting to drive, I would hope somebody else would say, uh-uh, you are not driving. No, no, <laughs> you don't get the keys to my car. Or, or think about just parenting. Like, you know, if, if my kids um, ask, you know, my, if you've not been a parent, what you'll find very quickly is there's a pretty steady stream of demands, especially when they're very young. They're wanting things all the time. And should I just, my parenting approach to be give to whoever asks you, you know, just give, give, give. I mean, my kids would have eaten nothing but ice cream and drank nothing but Coke for most of their, their formative years. But of course, I don't do that as a parent. I love them more than that, and I'm seeking their higher good. So, so I'm going to feed them healthy food and things like that. And you can say, well, they're not your enemies. They're your kids. But I'm like, have you ever denied your kids something they really want? I mean, there's, there's a moment of enmity there for sure, you know. It can get kind of rough at times. So, you know, these are obvious kind of silly examples, but, but I'm just trying to illustrate the dilemmas that what Jesus is teaching causes us. And, and what I'm trying to say is these things are in tension with one another. Yeah, Jesus is saying, give to whoever asks you. That's one way of loving your enemies. It's not the only way. We need the discernment of the Holy Spirit to know how to respond to our enemies in each situation. Another example would be, you know, let's say I, I'm an employer and uh, I've got a business and I find out that one of my employees has been stealing from the business, that they're just uh, skimming money somehow, they're embezzling funds. You know, should I let them get away with it? Should I, should I just say, well, you know, give to whoever asks or just love your enemies, bless those, you know, I just want to bless you even though you're stealing. No, of course not. I would fire them. Absolutely. And depending on the severity of the crime, have them arrested. <laughs> You can't run a business and, and, and bless the community and bless your other employees if, if that kind of behavior continues. But what, let's just say that person calls up a week later and says, hey, listen, I'm so sorry for stealing. Would you please forgive me? Well, the answer, as we talked about a few weeks ago in this series, must be yes. Jesus taught us to forgive as the Lord forgave you, to forgive 70 times 7, to keep forgiving and forgiving. We are required as followers of Jesus to forgive. So, of course, I would forgive that person, that employee that's stealing from me. But what if that person went on to say, and I'm really sorry, and can I have my job back? I need money. Should I just give him his job back? Is that what it means to love your enemies? Probably not in this situation. Of course, you want to ask the Lord. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, things that you can think about. I think, well, maybe, but, you know, in general, if somebody, we're required to forgive, we're not required to trust. Trust is something that's earned with faithfulness over time. And it's not unloving to enemies to, to set boundaries for there to be cons, to allow consequences for their actions to have effect. As I said before, Jesus isn't calling us to be doormats. And sometimes loving our enemies means that we will confront them. I mean, think about Jesus when you read through the Gospels, that the same person who said, love your enemies, also made a whip, went into a temple and the, the temple and cleared out the temple. I doubt too many people were looking at Jesus that day and going, that man is a doormat. <laughs> He's just a weakling. No, there was a courage, there was a cunning, there was a strength to Jesus' love for his enemies. Or, or what about when Jesus just goes off on the Pharisees and calls them out on, on their hypocrisy? He calls them snakes. 
and vipers and sons of hell and whitewashed tombs. I mean, he insults them, and we know they were insulted because they said, Master, do you realize you've insulted us? I mean, they, they were very clear about it. He was insulting them. And yet Jesus was love in action. This was the most loving thing he could do because these men were deeply deceived, and he was trying to shake them out of their deception. That is loving your enemies. Confrontation can be the most loving thing. Now, please don't take that as license to just go on social media this afternoon and just start insulting people and say, hey, my pastor said this is the way we love our enemies, so you take that so-and-so and you take that. You know, that's not what we're saying here. But Jesus, what I am trying to say is that loving your enemies can at times involve confrontation. It can involve setting boundaries. Not out of a desire to punish, but out of a desire to, that, that ultimately seeks reconciliation, that seeks the ultimate good of the other party. And there's a, an account in Dan Allender's book called Bold Love, which I really want to recommend. Um, it's, the whole book is all about loving difficult people. And so if this is, we're not going to be able to, I'd love to just walk through this whole book with you all, and maybe one day we will do a series on that, but I really want to recommend this if you want to go deeper on this topic. But he tells a conversation, tells about a conversation of, uh, between an adult daughter and her father who was an incredibly verbally abusive man. And after prayer and seeking wise counsel, uh, the, the daughter decided to set some clear boundaries with her father. And that was her way of loving him. He, he was continually and persistently, habitually, uh, verbally abusive to her, and he realized she realized, hey, just cowering in the corner and just letting him do it or turning a blind eye or looking the other way, that's not loving. That's not loving me. That's not loving him. <laughs> so so how, how can I put a boundary in that, that, that breaks this cycle? It just goes on and on. And so Dan recounts a phone call that they had. The father says, hi, honey. I'm calling to see when you will be arriving. Jane, chuckling out loud. <laughs> well, Dad... I can at least say it won't be in this calendar year. Dad, what? You know your mom is counting on you helping with the big 4th of July party. She won't be able to do it without your help. Oh, that's too bad, Dad. Um, you know, a lot of catering firms do holiday spreads, and I bet there's some in your area. Don't get cute with me. You know your mother wants you here, not a catering firm. Now let's get serious. You will be coming home. Dad? Do you recall the conversation a few nights ago when you yelled and called me some terrible names? Well, I told you then I would no longer allow you to sin against me or yourself by enduring your use of rage and shame. Before you get too much more intense, let me make it clear. I will not stay on the phone if that is your manner of speaking to me. Dad, are you willing to think with me about the way you deal with me and frankly almost everyone else in our family? Well, fine. I'll tell your mother about your decision. And let me tell you, I have no interest in being lectured by a kid who has no more sense than dad. I will look forward to the day you do desire to interact. So I'll be talking with you soon. Bye, dad. That is loving your enemies. That is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's that loving confrontation that is forcing this father to deal with his style of relating and the way he's damaging the relationships in his family. But she's not, she's, not, um, she, she's not retaliating with insults. She's not lashing out in anger, but she's not being a doormat either. 
She's not cowering in a corner. She's courageously loving her father by confronting him and setting boundaries and refusing to enable his abusive behavior to continue. See, all of these things are examples, whether it's giving with extraordinary, unreasonable generosity, if it's, if it's blessing those who curse you, if it's um, extending you know, grace and mercy and all the things that, that we've talked about, or if it's setting boundaries and confrontation, all of these are ways that God loves us. Think about how, how the Bible describes the love of God for us, the agape love of God. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in loving kindness towards us. He, he is generous to us. He is compassionate towards us. And yet, as it talks about in Hebrews, He disciplines us. And that is a sign of His love. He sets boundaries for us. He allows us at times to encounter the consequences of our rebellion and disobedience to Him, not out of a desire to punish, but out of a desire to bring us back to Himself. All of these things are examples of what it means to love your enemy, to agape love your enemy. Which brings me to the final question I want to wrestle with a little bit, and that is why? Why does Jesus ask us to love our enemies? Or, or maybe the, the question should be, how do we get our hearts in a place where we genuinely love them? We don't just tolerate them. We don't have gritted teeth towards them. We don't just do something nice for them. We, 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 we actually genuinely love them. Well, Jesus actually answers that question right there in the text. Let's go back and look at it again in verses 35 and 36. He says, love your enemies, then you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. And the reason that Jesus says there that that we're to love our enemies is because this is how He loved us. You see, I think that we forget that we were once God's enemies. It says that in Romans. It also says it in Colossians, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It says this, You were His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. You might have been a Christian uh, for a long time today, and, and it's easy for us to kind of put distance between us and where we once were before we were followers of Jesus. But at one point, we were enemies of God. Everything that is good and right and true and beautiful, we were on the other side of that. We were in rebellion against God, whether we knew it or not. But that didn't stop God from loving us. He continued, he loved his enemies, and that was us at one point. He kept pursuing us, and he sends Jesus to die on a cross so that we could be reconciled to him. Look at how he finishes this passage. He says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Oh, that's such good news this morning. That is who you are. That is how you stand before God. You don't have to hide. You don't have to cower. You are without blemish. You are free from accusation. See, God did that for us when we were his enemies. And now he's asking us to do the same. 
You see, all throughout the New Testament, you see this over and over again, that we're to be conduits of God's love and grace to others, that, that we're to take our cues from how God treats us and then turn it around into how we treat others. We're to love as the Lord has loved us. We're to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. We're to show compassion as the Lord has shown compassion to us. And we're to love our enemies because the Lord loved us when we were His enemies. And maybe this morning, that's just, a, if, you, if you struggle with the thought of loving your enemy, you, you think, no, no, it's too much what they've done. There's no way I could love my enemy. Maybe the thought isn't to start with, I'm just going to grit my teeth and try to love my enemy. <laughs> I don't think you're going to get there. I think you might need to start with, I was once an enemy of God, and He has loved and rescued me. And let that sink in until gratitude begins to overflow in your heart just for what God has done for you. And let that be the place that you then turn and begin to, to love your enemy. I mean, I don't want to pretend that this is easy. Uh, it is so hard. I don't think there is a clear example of needing the supernatural power of God to transform our hearts and our minds than when it comes to loving our enemy. It's not natural, you know? We want to lash out. We want to fight back. We want to get even. But the good news is that if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, His Spirit dwells within you, empowering you, giving you God's DNA. And what might seem impossible for you is actually possible through the power of God to transform our hearts, to transform our minds, to enable us to somehow do what was previously unthinkable, to become the kind of person like Martin Luther King who could who could calmly put on his best suit, walk out in front of the, the watching world media, pick up that cross, and pray a sincere prayer of blessing. That's what the Holy Spirit can do in us. I think it's appropriate just to conclude today just by looking at what Dr. King had to say about loving your enemies. He writes this in his book, The Strength to Love. He says, The ultimate weakness of violent retaliation is that it is a descending spiral begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate, so it goes. Returning evil for evil multiplies evil, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And 60 years later, we are still in awe of this man who transformed a nation because of his willingness to simply obey Jesus and love his enemy. We can do the same. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we're deeply challenged today by your words and your example. We're challenged by Martin Luther King and his bold love. We're, we're, it feels impossible, Lord, when we think of our own enemies, to do the same thing. But Lord, you promised to fill us. You promised to be with us. 
And Lord, we ask that, that you would fill us today, that you would help us today to remember when we've been wronged, when we encounter enemies who are, who are persecuting us for our faith or just simply don't like us or are out to get us for one reason or another. God, help us to respond with love instead of hate, with forgiveness instead of unforgiveness, with blessing instead of cursing, with unreasonable generosity. Lord, help us to respond in that opposite spirit. God, fill our hearts with your compassion for our enemies. Help us to see them as you see them. Help us to see them as broken children who are broken and acting in dysfunctional ways, but, but are still you, uh, 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 people that you created, people that you love, people that are made in your image. And Lord, I pray that you would grant us revelation by your Spirit to understand this incredible truth that we were once enemies and yet you pursued us and you rescued us and you reconciled us even while we were far away from you. Thank you for doing that, Lord. Help us to love our enemies as you have loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.